You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 5th of December 2021 from 10am CET on Monocle 24. The US President Joe Biden and Russia's Vladimir Putin are to hold a meeting via video call on Tuesday. It follows claims by the US to have evidence that Russia is planning a large-scale attack on Ukraine. Russia denies this. Tens of thousands of people across Europe have marched against COVID restrictions. More than 40,000 demonstrators protested in Vienna. In the central Dutch town of Utrecht, several thousand protested against restrictions that began last weekend. And in the German financial capital of Frankfurt, police broke up a demonstration of several hundred people for failing to wear masks or maintain social distancing. And a British scientist has discovered the secret of influencing what shoppers buy in their local shops. Professor Adrian North says playing certain types of music can have a profound effect on what we put in our trolleys. A series of experiments showed that people listening to classical music in the aisles of the supermarket or canteen spend the most. If you want us to buy French wine, play French music, and listening to share seem to make at least one person buy more crisps. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. Now it's time to cross to Zurich to do Vorstrasse 90 for Monocle on Sunday. Our editorial director has turned head elf for the Christmas market. A very good morning to you, Tyler. Good morning, Emma. How did you uh, How did you know that? <laughs> that, that? That you are head elf. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but you, you do know that there is, of course, a, a little bit of uh, Loden and Filz uh, happening this morning as well. So sort of, I'm, I'm dressed, uh, well, it's radio. I'm dressed uh, sort of from the waist up anyway. Right. I, I I'm not even going to ask what's happening anywhere else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, can we just go back to your, your news story just now about, is, is there any correlation between Cher and, and Crisps? Uh, Please explain. It was one individual who who was part of the survey who found themselves in in the snack aisle and found themselves piling uh, salt and vinegar flavour into their baskets as soon as they heard the shoop shoop song. Okay, it's as <laughs> simple as that. Yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what pro, uh, what uh, reaction it prompts with you and any of the any of the other people around the uh, the, the news desk at Dufourstrasse ninety. I know that some part of it was directed at Chandra Kurt, one of our guests today, because, of course, if you play more f- French music in supermarkets, apparently people buy more French wine, and it actually happens with German wine as well, which some people might be surprised by. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how much German music is played in in the average supermarket, unless you're where you are, of course. I don't uh, listen. I think if you went up to Baden-Württemberg or, uh, you know, maybe around Bavaria, a bit of Schlager could get you in the mood for a nice Riesling. I I, I don't know. All of these things to be decoded uh, over the next uh, 56 minutes. Emma will be speaking to you in a moment. Monocle on Sunday starts now. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's program, a Zurich Christmas market special. We're in full swing down here at Dufourstrasse 90. Lots of brands will be talking to them across the program. I'm very happy to say Chris Chermak is here. He's swung in from Austria. He's at the news table this morning with us. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Tyler. It's great to be here. Swung in from Austria to Zurich. Indeed. What's caught your eyes in the papers this morning? 
Um, I actually have an interesting little story from the Standard about uh, a uh, toy maker that is actually saying we should buy less toys. And why would that be? Just give us a little hint. Wood is better, plastic is worse. Okay, well, we'll be discussing that as well. I'm also very happy to say uh, Priska Amstrutz is here and also Chandra Kurt. Uh, Chandra, Gluvine, of course, is brewing. We can smell it here. Uh, any other tips and thoughts for today? Well, I'm just back from Milano and I fall in love with Campari. Okay, well, we'll see if there's going to be some of that around the table here this morning uh, as well. It's the 5th of December 2021, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. And good morning from a almost very sunny Zurich or, or somewhat sunny Zurich. Uh, welcome to Monocle on Sunday uh, with me, Tyler Brule. Very happy to say that uh, we do have uh, day two of our Christmas market. It's actually day four uh, if you count uh, London in last week. And also very happy to report as well that the weather is not dissimilar to uh, the fine, fine day that we had uh, this time last week, which is uh, superb. As you heard at the top of the show, our Chris Chermack uh, is here today. Good morning, uh, good morning again, uh, Chris. But uh, maybe just to tell our listeners, uh, is this just sort of a long way back? back uh, to get to London, just stopping off in Zurich in sort of an old-fashioned way? <laughs> At the moment, an old-fashioned way. I took the night train from uh, Vienna all the way to Zurich. It was old-fashioned, I suppose, in the sense that because of what had happened, which I'm sure we'll be talking about in Switzerland with quarantines, uh, it was a good way to take advantage and come here via Austria. I happened to be there visiting my parents in lockdown, which itself was a, a strange situation. But given I couldn't go skiing, I ended up visiting them there instead. And this was a way to get to Zurich because it wouldn't have been as easy from London. At least it wouldn't have been last week. Now again, of course, that's changed. Absolutely. We'll be talking about that on the program today. Uh, Chandra, good morning. You just uh, said in our, our preview, you're, you're somewhat fresh back from, uh, from Milano. Uh, tell us about tales uh, from the other side of the Alps. Well, Actually, I should have been in London, but then there came the restrictions. So we thought we cannot just stay here. What do we do? We took the train to Milano and came back with the train and there was no control. It was good and uh, it was very festive. Of course, I would have preferred to be in London, but um, Milano was not bad. Okay, just uh, maybe. Well, wh why don't we keep our sort of our, our listeners in suspense about the, the Campari moment? Uh, we can talk about that a little bit uh, later uh, in the program as well. Uh, also, uh, Priska Amstutz is here. She's the joint editor in chief of the Tagus Anzeiger. Of course, uh, our listeners will know that is one of the uh, German language newspapers of record uh, here in Switzerland. Priska, the last time uh, we saw each other, it was uh, in the library at the Churchill uh, in London, just off the back of our, our media conference. And maybe I'll start, but what, what brought you from Zurich to London that day? <laughs> yes, exactly. The media conference. I was. Uh, I haven't traveled for two years uh, on a business matter and I wanted to get some new inspiration and talk to other editors and magazine makers and uh, wanted to hear Clarissa Ward talk about, about her important work. So. It was a great afternoon full of uh, insights and fresh air, fresh <laughs> London air. <laughs> as fresh as it can be. Uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll start things uh, maybe just uh, with a look at uh, what's happening uh, in, in the papers as well. Chris, um, I'll, I'll go over uh, to you. There's, there's, yeah, there was actually, it's quite a, a bountiful feast if we look at the German language uh, papers, but maybe we're going a, a bit further afield. But uh, where, where do you want to go first? Well, I actually did want to go to my, my home or half-home country of Austria, uh, just because I find the last week there has, of course, been really fascinating for a number of reasons. One, of course, is the fact that they are in a three-week lockdown still, which should go until the 13th of December for vaccinated and unvaccinated. 
There were protests yesterday, tens of thousands of people in Vienna. It struck me that, you know, the, the mix of the protests was interesting from the reporting that you see in the papers. Um, most of it is focused on this idea of a vaccine mandate uh, that will come into effect in February, um, which it just sort of struck me compared to, say, 2020, when everything was about the lockdowns. Austria is in lockdown, but still the focus is just purely on this idea of whether uh, the unvaccinated should be forced to get vaccinated or not. That's what it was all about. At the same time, perhaps foreshadowing the other side of what is in the Austrian papers a lot uh, this this week. There were a couple of signs that hadn't been updated at the protests yesterday that said, Kurz must weg, Kurz must go. A bit Sebastian late on that. Kurz, a bit late yeah. on that because uh, the Austrian former Chancellor Sebastian Kurz, of course, resigned from the uh, from politics essentially on Thursday. He ushered in there thereby a wave of new uh, you know, p political resignations across Austria, across the government. We have a new chancellor and Karl Nehammer. And so all the, all the Austrian papers are focused on what I find fun is this, just this idea of who is he and what does that mean for the Austrian People's Party, the conservatives. Sebastian Kurz was this young, you know, uh, he's only 35. He's been in politics for 10 years. I still find that incredible in itself. But he was such a force within the party. He even changed the party's colors from black to turquoise for the People's Party. And now all of the papers are focused on sort of, is black the new turquoise? Are we going backwards? Are we back to sort of the traditional People's Party? Is anything going to remain of what Sebastian Kurz brought he was this you know he really was this communicator of force many on the center right sort of saw him as maybe some way to sort of bridge between populism and the center right in Europe that of course did not succeed eventually as he fell into this sort of corruption uh, you know scandal uh, essentially that sort of has completely tarnished his name but therefore the question remains what is there anything of his brand to salvage and that's really what all the Austrian papers of course are focusing on now absolutely and maybe we just uh, we should do uh pick up on this this 2G uh, and, and what this means. And of course, this is very much a term uh, which, which belongs to, to the, yeah, the Germanic world. Uh, we're talking here about, of course, uh, Gimpt and, and Gnesen, correct? Yes. Uh, so yeah, either recovered uh, or you've been vaccinated. Uh, and this is, uh, this is, of course, you know, Priska, maybe I'll bring you on this because it's your paper, every paper uh, in this country as well. So much of the focus even today at the market is, if, you know, if you know, if you want to come in uh, to the market, you either have to be vaccinated or you have to be recovered and you have to show, of course, your past. This is, you know, it's officially mandated, as we know, from uh, from tomorrow. But still, uh, you know, public establishments or establishments, you know, which are open to the public, not, not publicly owned necessarily, um, have the right to, of course, impose this upon their visitors. Did you think we would get here that quickly? Because it almost seemed like three weeks ago, if I read the papers, that they would say, T you know, 2G is like completely verboten. This is not the Swiss way. Look at those crazy Austrians. Look what's <laughs> happening in Germany. And now here we are. Yes, I think the how quick everything goes, it's not new in the pandemic. I think when you look at papers that are three weeks old, which you don't do, of course, but if you do, you see all these points you mentioned, um, uh, no, there will never be 2G, there will never be mandatory vaccinations. And now we are discussing this as a next possibility, of course, very uh, opposing views on this topic. Um, I'm not surprised on the speed of things at the moment.
I, but still, it's it's always a, a little shock. <laughs> I, I'm wondering how much of a conversation there is between, uh, and maybe Chris, you've got to read on this, or Priska as well, because we find ourselves with Austria and Switzerland, uh, two countries with a, with a similar dilemma, depending on what numbers you look at, 65, six, anywhere between, let's say, 65 and 67% of the population vaccinated. Uh, there is this sort of sense of this pride issue around it, uh, that these numbers are just simply too low. Chris, do you get a sense, is there... Probably, is there a hotline between Bern and Vienna where people are con- really sort of thinking about what can we do comparing notes uh, on this? Because I'm sure Prisk would also say as well that, you know, well, I think both the Austrians and the Swiss, they love having a bit of a swing at each other uh, as well. But uh, but we're in this time where also, yeah, of course, nations and especially countries sharing a, a border uh, have to muscle in together a little bit to find some type of solution. Well, I would add that there's maybe a hotline between Bern, uh, Vienna and Berlin as well, because Berlin has been interesting on this. They, in the same way, had Angela Merkel herself had promised there would be no vaccine mandate, has suddenly switched. The new chancellor, Olaf Scholz, also is behind vaccine mandates. Even the freedom the Free Democrats, I should say, are interestingly uh, behind the idea of a vaccine mandate, Christian Lindner. So they're also sort of in this triangle, if you will. I think, yeah, Austria in some ways has been the, the, the forerunner, or the, so the one leading, leading ahead on this. Uh, maybe one way to just describe it, at least from the Austrian perspective, and maybe that's where it's also going to Switzerland, is where the numbers are, how they've been rising. You listen to the, the former now Chancellor Alexander Schallenberg when he announced some of these measures, the lockdowns, and he just had this focus on we've, we've tried everything and nothing is working. So I think that is the question for so much of particularly this German-speaking world as hospitalizations are rising, that kind of thing. What do you do? Do you just do you kind of accept it and you kind of just accept that this is the world we're currently living in and there will be high hospitalizations? Or do you take these very, yes, extreme measures kind of forcing people to get vaccinated? It's just it's a step that I think many politicians didn't even expect themselves to be in, to be fair in this case. It's a little different, I would argue, than other cases of turnabouts in politics where it's just sort of politically convenient or something like that. It really feels like in this case, so many politicians just did not expect they needed to take a step like this and now find themselves wondering, well, what is the alternative? What can we do if not this step? What is the other option? There is no other option left. Priska, do you think that the politicians are beating themselves up a little bit too much? Because also we know there, okay, there is a hardcore that just simply won't vaccinate. And then, of course, you know, if you look at the the arc from the Balk- Balkans, it goes through Austria, it comes to Switzerland uh, as well. And this is, you know, it's a community of concern as well, which has been you know cited in the press. And there you're going to have just, uh, you have a cultural challenge too, that just people simply, there's a lack of trust in the government on one side, uh, I mean, historically from the Balkans. So even whether you're living in Austria or Switzerland, this also presents a problem as well. So, yeah, I mean, where, where do you move it at that point? And, it, and this is why we end up in this place of, well, there's not much more we can do. We have to protect the bulk of society. Yes, it's. I mean, we have a lot, uh, many different systematic problems. I mean, here in Switzerland, uh, last week was a very special week, of course, we because um, many people said yes to the COVID law. But then in the same week, we had the highest uh, infection rates. Uh, the Federal Council um, proposed new measurements and then the cantons uh, decided to water them down a little bit. So the federal system with the um, with, uh, cantons is very difficult here in Switzerland. And then you have these these connections to, to other uh, countries. So um, 
Of course, the politicians have to 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 find ways to address this the, these problems. Absolutely, Chandra, uh, you talked about getting back across the border from Italy with no controls, etc., as well, which is also surprising because we know we know the biggest. You know, it's, it's not just the wine producers who've been, uh, of course, really uh, profiteers out of this pandemic. Uh, it's certainly the companies running tests as well. Uh, and now we're we're faced with a situation. You know, more tests. You know, if you come back into Switzerland, etc. You know, and, and you know, we should say it was a bit of a a panic and complete sort of like no one even expected this last week that you know here you know now everyone was like sort of sitting there obviously looking at what was happening with the new variant then switzerland said actually all of these countries uh you suddenly have to go into a 10-day quarantine people were in the air and landing there was a real sense of outrage uh this week but how did you take it no it it is you know it's two years now that that the whole the whole um new new world started and i think we have to get used and we have to know that things are can change very fast and we have to become very flexible it is very tiring it is you, you you try to plan but then everything goes again upside down and i think for politicians as well it is you know it's it's a virus you can it, you cannot control it you don't know what happens and we are not homogeneous uh, in all of this 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 movement so there will be all kind of new 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 ways and, and new reactions and and it must be very difficult if you're a politician no ab- absolutely and um, i just uh, want to cross back uh, to london uh, right now our, our emma nelson uh, is there we sent her off scrambling for the newspapers uh, you made it down to the newsstand remarkably fast, or unless the, the, the kiosk man already uh, delivered uh, the stack of the Sundays to you, Emma. Kiosk man did his job. Well done, kiosk man. And listen, they're there. Oh, there and, they are. I, the, I love the rust. Well, you know, that's the problem, right? You know, this is this is the beauty of paper. You know, just having someone sort of, you know, running their finger over a tablet is just does, has has no effect on radio. But you know, so you do need the crunch of uh, of a proper broadsheet. Also, you can never find a good story on a tablet. You have to have it. You have to have that element of surprise when you. Turn the turn the page. That said, there is very little surprise in many of the the, the English language based papers out of London this morning. It is all the delicate balance that the British Prime Minister now has to take in terms of paying what the Sunday Times is saying, Santa or Scrooge. Apparently, we've got until December the 18th before Boris Johnson decides what the policy for Christmas is, for England at least. And it follows a week when there was real outrage and heartbreak when it turned out that on December the 18th last year, when we were just about to go into what's known as Tier 3 here in London, when it was no socialising outside work, and people were beginning to die. I think the 500, I think there were 500 deaths a day in the UK. Um, there appeared to be a party um, known as Drinks, Nibbles and Games were held privately at number 10. And uh, there was a huge denial all week that by Boris Johnson, not that it was a party, but that it broke COVID rules. But as one political correspondent said, well, if there were drinks, nibbles and games, if it looks like a duck, it waddles like a duck and it, cr- and it quacks and you can only draw your own conclusion here. This week, the papers are now decide, are now exposing once again that rift that happens time and time again here in the United Kingdom. The scientists are saying, don't have a Christmas party, don't socialise unnecessarily. The Prime Minister is saying, carry on as normal. Then two days ago, we had the Transport Secretary Grant Shapp saying, we will not impose further restrictions on travellers coming to and forth from the United Kingdom. And then two days ago, the health secretary said, actually, if you want to travel to the United Kingdom, you have to take not only a test when you arrive 
and I'm not even going to begin to tell you how much companies are charging people for that at the moment, but it's... £359. Yeah, yeah, it is. Thanks. <laughs> it's not well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because, we're, of course, we're, we are going ahead with the Christmas party in London, yep. and we do have to bring people over, and yep. it's, it's kind of remarkable because there is... Yeah, I mean, most people are only going to be there for 24 hours, and then, yeah, you... Yeah, of course, you can test and get released. Yeah. So we have around the corner from us a number of clinics around Harley Street where you can get tested. Yeah. And the, the snappiest version, I mean, it's three times more than we're paying per head for the Christmas dinner for the staff. Anyway, um, no, it's, not, it's... No sign of bitterness or anger there at all, Tyler. But no, that, no, that's not, what... not... But that's what you say. I mean, we were just saying, I mean, the profiteering I mean, of these of these, uh, of these companies, it's great that they're there. But I'll tell you, I really think there'll be a big story about just the racket on testing. And I'm sure all of the people who got backhanded uh, from this as well. But in, that will be another story as, another as we story. And mop it, this up. But you, you hit a really a sort of nerve there when you talk about, you know, just jumping in about how much it's going to cost. Just building on Chandra saying we're getting used to this being a world where you book things, you don't book things, you plan things, you don't plan things. There is still that there's still that look to government saying, just give us some guidance here. If Are we right to get on a plane right now because we'll, we'll be stuck in a week's time? That world of uncertainty is not what you need just before Christmas. It really isn't. So just looking at what you know, some of the papers are talking about... Um, you know, the Sunday Telegraph is talking about how much risk can the Prime Minister take with Omicron to avoid ruining Christmas. There is not just the, 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 the health in, impact, but the financial impact and also, dare I say it, the political impact for Boris Johnson. Because they've said to him quietly, some, some of his backbenchers have said, if you cancel Christmas this time, you are dead in the water politically. And so, you know, glad to, glad to think that they're thinking about us all the time. But that is being brought in as a big factor as well. Yeah, but it doesn't surprise you as well, because I think, you know, maybe two weeks ago, everyone is like, OK, we're just everyone has, has been done with this for a while. And of course, all of this uh, bubbles up last week. You know, and, and then, of course, as we saw, we had in the UK, many other countries taking measures. Um, but there was this real sense of surprise coming back here that 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 Switzerland, it was like was the intern on the on the duty desk last weekend when this 10-day restriction went on because everybody was scratching their heads because by Monday morning, there were already almost confirmed cases in Switzerland uh, and pretty much all over Europe. And, and then it was completely untenable. Everyone thought, you know, why is this happening? And then it took the government until Friday here to then say, and I guess we, we had the, the, uh, the federal health minister kind of admit, I guess it was around Tuesday, this probably isn't working so well. They pull it down on, on, on Tuesday. On, on Friday, but this has had a big impact on tourism already. I mean, the amount of people who've cancelled. Okay, now you can come back to Switzerland, but of course, this is also being widely reported here as well. Indeed. Yes. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, of course, uh, for winter tourism, Christmas holiday, it's been a disaster these these few days. I've read that uh, in the Bern region, they had a cancellation up to 50% of the, on the Christmas, ho Christmas holidays. And if you cancel, you probably won't reschedule um, on Friday when you know that it's... Uh, and. And in addition, the, the numbers have gone up in the in the meantime, so you probably go somewhere else or stay at home. So this is really dramatic. And also, for um, this is another aspect, but also the club nightclub scene here in Switzerland was very um, confused by by other measurements that were 
proposed, but then not not um, not implemented. Yeah, implemented, because, because, yeah. because we heard that, of course, they were going to make you go to the club and wear a mask and be seated. Yes, uh, and that is now not the case. Um, so, but it is interesting. I mean, and I think probably some people are listening from far, seeing that this country has very high cases, but they've still the government still pressed ahead with the Swiss way, which is well, we we want to keep society open as much as possible and you'll have to I guess be 2G I guess if you go into a club is that correct yes yes that's the alternative you can choose between 2G so you uh, a test um, won't surface anymore or you can uh, be seated and wear a mask if you move around. Or you can have a living room disco and eat crisps, right, Emma? And and uh, and listen to share. <laughs> if, if that if that floats your boat over the uh, over the holiday, we don't uh, need season. Christmas. I don't need Christmas for that. <laughs> no, we don't. Listen, um, as I said, it is uh, it's the Christmas uh, market here uh, in Zurich, and uh, I'm very very happy uh, to say um, that uh, we have one of uh, our friends. He's he's participated in a couple of markets uh, to date. Uh, Peter Hornung is here from Round Rivers. Good morning. Good morning, Tyler. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Not at all. So uh, I think um, yeah, many uh, of our readers and listeners uh, you might uh, know the sound of your voice by now. They've probably heard of Round Rivers. Not everybody. Uh, but uh, I'll set it up for you very quickly. But uh, you made a name for yourself fishing uh, pet bottles, plastic bottles out of the Limat uh, and, and having this, uh, I would say, you know, you set yourself a complex task of then taking those bottles, have them turned into pellets, then brought down to be turned into thread, to be turned into fabric, to be turned into swimsuits. And now we have something for winter, don't we? You said everything. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, yeah, now we um, thought about having a product for the winter. So um, what we, uh, our aim is to just work with waste that we find um, out of the circular uh, economy, let's say. And so we were thinking about what, could we, what else could we do with the fabric that we've produced for the man shorts. Um, and then we found uh, Recycled Swiss down. So um, we thought about what... what let, let's combine them and, and, and make a puffer jacket out of it. So this is the final product. It just launched two weeks ago and we only have a few left, luckily. <laughs> so yeah, it was quite, quite, quite a good start, let's say. Yeah. So explain Recycled uh, Swiss Down, which already sounds amazing because you think of sort of all of these wonderful stories of, of, of duvets that have a history in nice chalets, <laughs> maybe odd histories as well, but we won't get into that because um, you your mind can really wander. But uh, so I would assume this is where the down is, is coming from uh, and, uh, and then somehow being upcycled into the jacket. Uh, it's yes. not. It's not coming off of barnyards or or sad sad ducks. I would imagine it's it, it's no. already been used. <laughs> exactly, it has its history already. So um, we we work together with Tax Aid, um, and um, they collect old clothing and also old duvets and stuff. And um, what happens with the old down is um, they they cut the duvets um, and they um, take out the down, then they get washed and then they get. Well, that's good. I was happy about the yeah, washing. Yeah, sure. I was no, happy no. About the washing. <laughs> they they even get sterilized. Good. <laughs> so no, for the process, it's they cut they cut it out. They they um, they wash it and then they. Um, I get um, filtered in a very big room, which is very airy, and that means um, they need the air to to um, separate the good quality down from the bad quality down. So that means the very good quality down is on the very top, and the one that lost its um, how do you say stability? Will to live? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that gets gets down, and then 
this this gets burned because it's 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 not um, it doesn't perform anymore. So that's why we just take uh, the very um, good one on the very top, and then these ones get washed again, sterilized, and then um, they get stuck in uh, they get you know how do you stuffed. say stuffed exactly in our winter jackets and and that's that's and it. where is it's where is the, where is the stuffing and all of this process happening is this back in italy or um that's in italy so we take the swiss um down and we we um take it a little tour take a little tour on on varese which is uh, to varese which is in the northern part of italy and there everything is get is getting processed and this is also the location where our uh, jackets are soon together and uh, and also the um, fabric is produced, so everything is very local within a production radius of only 140 kilometers from the bottle um, to the down and to the finished product. And uh, just to tell us quickly before we go, uh, just uh, the response is good. Obviously, you said not very many jackets left. So, listeners, uh, make your way uh, <laughs> down, down to Duforstrasse to get those last jackets. Uh, but obviously, response has been good. And uh, are you, but are you surprised? I mean, literally going from men's swimwear, this is quite a jump. Then, uh, but it's it's also nice to have a, a winter offer. But uh, you, you sound a little bit surprised how well it's gone. Yeah, I was I was I was a bit. Um, um, yeah, you know the the idea that we had um, taking pet bottles from the Swiss river and, and bring it back into the river again as swimwear. Um, that's quite, you know, um, people understand it immediately. They love the idea. And I was a bit confused. Um, do they also accept that we now make winter jackets, which, you know, don't, doesn't, doesn't go their way, way back to, to the water. So I was a bit um, unsure, but it turned out that People like it. <laughs> very good. Uh, Peter Horning, very nice to see you uh, from Round Rivers. Um, of course, people can find you at roundrivers.com. Dot com. Very good. Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you, Tana. not at all. Uh, it's uh, just uh, coming up to the bottom of the hour right now, uh, a little bit uh, later, of course. We're going to be going through uh, the papers a little bit more. Of course, Chandra Kurt uh, is here. We're a bit late on coming to the whole topic of wines, but it's just uh, about to hit the bottom of the hour. Emma Nelson's there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The US President Joe Biden and Russia's Vladimir Putin are to hold a meeting via video call on Tuesday. It follows claims by the US to have evidence that Russia is planning a large-scale attack on Ukraine. Tens of thousands of people across northern Europe have marched against COVID restrictions. They include in Vienna, Utrecht and Frankfurt. The US has accused Iran of abandoning any compromises it had made in talks to revive the 2015 nuclear deal. And as the party season tries to get off the ground here in the UK, a survey has revealed some of the worst offences committed by hosts and guests over wine. One in ten people surveyed said they poured cheaper versions into expensive bottles, while a quarter of 25 to 34-year-olds mixed different wines in the same glass and, or decanter, 12% had lied about the wine and 10% fell out with other guests after arguing about the wine. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. Well, Emma, thank you for that. It's, uh, it's very good that our, our wine correspondent uh, and, of course, good friend Chandra Kurt uh, is here. She almost passed out hearing uh, all of that. But also, I don't, you're probably not surprised hearing this, Chandra. Not at well. all, not at all. But Emma, thank you so much for all these beautiful stories you, you found <laughs> for me today. So the story about the pouring the wrong, the wrong wine in, 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 the, in the other bottle, I heard once even on a Christmas party a few years ago. So the host knew that the guests don't understand anything about wine. And so he, he, put, he took 
took a, a bottle that is uh, not so expensive and for him he put an expensive Bordeaux in this same bottle and I, because I asked him why do you always keep one bottle next to you he said you know I put something else in it so so he drank good and all, we all had to drink something more simple but um, I think there are a lot of funny stories around wine and I want your thoughts and reflections about uh, the, the impact of what you listen to because you've got quite a good playlist uh, when we're on your uh, when you're when we're on your terrace uh, in in the summertime uh, and and do you think this this does have an, an impact uh, enormous impact you know sometimes we had some guests that we thought after they left from our place I think they they created a family so I think it depends really the music <laughs> and the wine together is very um, you know we also had a reaction together we I think we sang on the terrace and uh, and and I think when we give wine recommendation maybe we should combine it really with a music recommendation I like this uh, very much uh, why don't we stay on uh, this topic Emma are you standing I'm going to kick it off with you listeners uh, it is probably it's really become an iconic part of our program Chanda Kurt of course is here our, our assembled uh, guests and correspondents are also here and everyone delivers a very snappy I need this type of wine brief to Chandra Emma Nelson in London over to you really simple Chandra I was going to cook smoked haddock tonight what, I know what should I have been serving <laughs> with it Okay. No, okay. Nothing. Nothing exciting, or, or just just something nice, please. Okay. okay. Very good, uh, Chris. Uh, a little. I mean, I know that you're. I don't know if it's if it's a mini bar situation. You want to maybe go and buy something uh, afterwards, or maybe you want to pick a bottle from the bar here at Dufostrasse. <laughs> but uh, but you could also sort of project yourself into the future as well. You can think about a future event. But uh, what would you like to know from Chandra? Well, I'm just fascinated by this connection with music because I once did, of course, a, a course on sort of pairing wines and cheeses. I wish there were a course on pairing wine and music. I'm mm -hmm. personally a fan of sort of German, Austrian, Rieslings, mm -hmm. Weißburgunder, Grauburgunder, that kind of thing. What sort of music should I play with that? Perfect. And and with a and a wine suggestion as well, right? <laughs> yes, and a wine suggestion. <laughs> Priska, over uh, over to you. So, yeah, you, again, it, you, it can be a, a suggestion or request uh, that you need for, for tonight, or, uh, yeah, we can be thinking about Christmas Eve. Uh, but, uh, yeah, give, offer, a, offer a few questions, or one question, uh, Chandra's way. Yes, I will have a big party once the whole pandemic is over to celebrate many things I missed celebrating in the last two years. So I need a, a affordable champagne or bubbly for that occasion, which will be hopefully in spring. Okay, so Chandra, you have your work uh, I'm good, set. I'm good. Set, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll probably be coming back to you uh, in about uh, 20 minutes on that. It's uh, just gone 10:34 uh, uh, here in Zurich. Uh, that means that it is 9:34 uh, back in London, and we have a very very uh, busy and uh, buzzy market here. Lots of stallholders. Uh, of course, uh, we've got the the world of Monocle there as well. Actually, Chris, um, you've uh, you've seen. Of course, we've got our newspaper uh, here as well, which is really almost hot off the press. It, uh, it, it arrived uh, from Constance. Uh, we print this with the Sudkurier uh, Zeitung, uh, and it is, uh, it is now uh, landed uh, and will be, uh, yeah, be on newsstands uh, very soon. Uh, we're also very happy to report as well that I think a lot of our listeners will know that many airlines in the world decided to, to remove paper uh, from the, the the travel experience, because we were told that uh, that news that paper is bad, and of course that the pandemic is all over it. I mean, of course, 
it's all over it because it was covered in the newspapers. I'm not sure that it was actually covered, uh, you know, on on the front page of the newspaper. But somehow we were led to believe that it was very infectious to have uh, paper around. And now it seems it's not really the case. And it's good news because we're one of the first pieces of print that's going to be going back onto the Lufthansa network, uh, at least um, in lounges and and on on ground uh, as well. Um, any stories that that caught your eye uh, so far from from that world? I know we, you were talking about also we have a work of fiction in there. Not that this is a journalist who made up a story. Uh, this is actually a piece of fiction that has uh, been commissioned and translated for the issue. This is a piece of fiction that was the commission from a journalist from ZDF, Yuli von Kessel, who uh, works in, in New York, but also has been on Morgen Magazine instead of ZDF. And she wrote this very nice, interesting, sort of wintry story about the potential awkwardness of a gathering and i and i loved it because it just brings out the emotions of of a gathering that you can have it's about uh, a woman with a young child who goes to a dacha in eastern eastern germany uh, in brandenburg to visit a group of old friends essentially uh, one that sort of a group that she had used to connect with but has fallen out with since she had an affair with one of them and so it's just this story about the awkwardness of arriving the trip up there what she's thinking then arriving there seeing all these people uh, and I just love the emotions that came out of that as a story as a discussion it really makes you think about you know we all go to these gatherings and we, we, we love to have gatherings we love to see people but you also kind of want it to be the right people you don't want to be forced into a gathering with people that you maybe don't necessarily identify with anymore. And we all have this, I think, in some ways, eagerness to sort of be with friends or old friends from high school or different times in our life. But, you know, sometimes we've moved on and we should stay with the friends that we like the most and that, that understand the lives we currently have. So it's a very poignant piece about that kind of relationship that you have with friends and former friends. Absolutely. Um, anything else uh, that, uh, that you enjoyed uh, or you want to highlight uh, in, in the paper uh, as well? Well, I would say in general, as, as you were talking about, just the fact that we have this winter weekly paper or winter, uh, I was part of the winter weeklies a couple of years ago as well, but it's just nice that we have a winter newspaper again. We also uh, have a colleague uh, back in London, Alex Briand, who used to work for the British Airways magazine, and he's written a couple of times about this for us, the fact that the the magazine, the High Life magazines, are, are no longer present, that so many airlines are cutting back on these magazines um, in the air, uh, whether it's whether it's as you say for the infection reason or for for climate reasons, for the weight that they say, but even that, but really well. just probably for good old cost cutting. And it is a shame because it's something important. You need something to read when you're in. You know, you don't just want to be staring at a screen and watching a movie. It's just sometimes nice to have something else to back it up with. So I'm just really happy that we were able to produce something like this. I have to say for everyone to enjoy over the over the winter months, especially. It's a uh, you you. A little bit sort of alluding to the, to the romanticism of, of travel, and I do want to pick up on, on a story, which I don't know if you saw it, but there's a great piece in the, uh, in the NZZ from this weekend about Pan Am. Um, so this is, uh, it's 30 years since Pan Am uh, went bankrupt. Uh, we know that it's almost, it's, we're coming up to the 33rd anniversary of, of Lockerbie, uh, Flight 103 uh, as well, late, later in December. But it was, this is just a great piece of journalism and I would encourage anyone to pick it up. But it's just, it's, you know, this is when a newspaper does such a good job when it goes deep and it surprises you and it, it picks up on an anniversary, but it's so evocative. And, and a lot of the story, it doesn't sort of focus so much on the catch me if you can moment of seeing the Pan Am Clippers 
powers flying around the world. A lot of the story, and and, and it's it also focused on a new book, which is which is out about Pan Am, and and it talks about also the role that Pan Am had as as a feeder into Berlin and how this was part of a lifeline um, into Berlin during the Cold War years um, as well, which was which was kind of remarkable. The, the sense of this romanticism that this that this airline um, had. Chandra, I just um, I was going to ask you. We've never we we talk a lot about uh, the glory days of Swiss Air and things, uh, but you know in your time from Southeast Asia and elsewhere was uh, was Pan Am ever part of, uh, no, of part of the family? It of was course, of course, of course, uh, because my parents worked for the Smithsonian and uh, so we were a lot in Asia and we flew often back with Pan Am and I remember, you know, I remember these beautiful dresses of, of the, the flight attendants and the whole procedure. And uh, one Christmas, even my father sent uh, give me a gift with this uh, big um, how do you call it this mobile Pan Am. So I remember having this Pan Am always in my in my room, and it was you know it was the grand times of traveling and, and Pan Am to fly Pan Am was amazing. No, and as you said, there you go again, some, something which was sort of brought back from uh, yeah from from a trip, this sort of iconography, and that's the great thing that I think we forget in this digital age right now. You do want to be able to either purchase something from a, a brand or, or even steal something off of a plane. I mean, it's very rare that you get badges or stickers. I mean, sort of the lovely bag tag is gone. I mean, yep. of course, the flu, the flug plan, I mean, the, <laughs> the timetable is completely gone, which I don't understand. I mean, I, I can see, yes, okay, why you don't have paper, but it's so annoying when you go onto any airline's booking engine to try to find a total overview. It's like you have to always just re-enter the date. It's, well, there's no flight on that date. And it doesn't really give you a suggestion for another date where once upon a time, if you look at a piece of paper and you say, Okay, I can yeah. look actually Wednesdays. There are seven flights to Heathrow, and and I have all of the times listed, and it's very easy. And I can also view if I want to fly back on Saturday. All in one place, and and it's interesting because Priska, you were just saying a little bit, you know, a, a bit earlier as well. This is this is kind of one of the great things about paper sometimes that we we forget. And I'm wondering is that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess is it attention still, uh, or or when when you know when you have discussions in the newsroom at the Tagesanzeiger, of course every newspaper needs to be digital first. Uh, but is there still room for the magic of what can happen uh, in a newspaper? Do you think? Yes, I I think there is and there will be for a long time. I think we have a, a problem that the paper is so expensive at the moment Indeed. and rare. <laughs> and very so rare. This is a bit uh, um, a problem for us, I think, um, also in the next year. But but uh, people still believe in print and, and like to read print. Um, I'm a firm believer. And, and Well, you were talking about this, I mean, this horrendous weather we had yesterday. It was probably the worst weather you could have had for a Christmas market. And you were saying it's, just, it's, it's one of those great moments when you can be at home and where a great weekend paper is mm -hmm. almost defines that experience of being indoors. Yes. Yes, it's, it's like in a movie. I read uh, the newspapers. I had a very big stack. I drank a cup of tea and I was like, I could be <laughs> uh, for an advertising for, for newspapers <laughs> or weekend supplements. Yes. Um, I want to, uh, on, on the topic of, uh, of, of weekends uh, and supplements and supplements, which are also often uh, filled with very fine things to, to buy. I'm very happy to say that another uh, stall holder has uh, joined us uh, today. Uh, Captain Waito is here. Uh, from uh, Vin Sneakers, uh, and uh, this is—I mean, I, I've seen them because they're in one of our neighboring shops here, and it's incredible uh, seeing how many people have been ordering and walking out uh, with your sneakers. But good morning, first and foremost. Nice to good see morning, you. Good morning, Tyler. Thank you very much. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, about uh, the evolution of this of, of the brand, because 
Yeah, I mean, many would be sitting here listening, going, "Does the world need another sneaker brand?" We're we're in this middle of this crazy sort of sneaker boom uh, at the moment. Uh, it's and it's still with us, uh, surprisingly. What did you What did you want to bring to the market? So yeah, exactly. So I'm actually going a little bit a different road than uh, the rest. So actually, I've been doing sneakers for over like 15 years for various brands, and it came to a point when I asked myself. How can I create and develop a, the longest lasting sneaker actually out there and actually not just focusing on sustainable production and materials, but actually to the relation between the product and the customer. So how can I empower the customer to take care, to self-repair and eventually to love longer his product. So actually the focus is the, yeah, the time of the use of the product and not just uh, the development and and when we uh, when we think about uh, that as you said it's, it's not just about focusing on the materials and that you know that's interesting it's a, it's a brave thing to say because everyone is so much on the message of you know is it you know well whether the, the leather uh, has been sourced in a sustainable way uh, of course uh, you know we want to talk about you know maybe not even leather we want to talk about uh, you know is it a substitute leather etc etc mm -hmm. uh, but you're trying to fill in all of these other gaps uh, in an in an around that uh, as as well so I, I guess part of also is is the production and where they're made uh, as well because we often know sneakers especially for buying them in, in Europe they have to travel a very long way exactly. uh, yeah yeah very very important point so I even know where the skins are coming from so they are French cows <laughs> and I know where they got tans and the whole manufacturing partners I know them personally by name so it's all within Europe and yeah, it's a, it's a very, very important topic, exactly. So you've yeah. obviously got a history, of course, as you said, uh, being in this space, in this sector. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm curious uh, how difficult or, or easy was it uh, to come together, especially at a time, I mean, just as, as Prisca was saying, as we, you know, we, have a, we have a paper shortage right now. There are all kinds of shortages uh, and, and certainly supply chain blocks. I mean, you've, in, you've launched this at a very curious maybe challenging time exactly one year ago like in the middle of the pandemic so we launched uh, the first 500 pairs like arriving from Tuscany to Switzerland and it was it was madness <laughs> like like the last year and I mean even now we are facing like huge um, price expansions in leather and all yeah all the materials but we still have very strong partnerships and I'm yeah I'm convinced that we're gonna step forward together as a team but yes I, I face challenges as well well. So do you see yourself as a Swiss brand made in Italy with tanned cows from <laughs> France or how do you define your brand? Yeah, exactly. So my team, actually, my business partner is um, located in London. So we work as a team of developers and designers and with an engineer, actually a friend of mine from Zurich. So actually we are the core team. So we developed the whole concept over actually four years. It took a very long time. And then, uh, yeah, my partners from, from Italy and France. So we are a little European brand. But yes, like the base is in Switzerland. Now, now one interesting topic about uh, sustainability, which I think is, is interesting, as well is that you're, you've created also a sneaker which you know, is it has all the codes I mean I recognize it as as a sneaker uh, and in, in quite a classic sense um, exactly. is that also part of it as well because you know you can look at so many of these trainers right now on hormones um, that are everywhere which you just know are going to end up in landfill you know that people are going to wake up exactly. in six months and go Oh my God! What was I thinking? In the same way that we were, we used to laugh about Spice Girl Buffalo trainers. I mean, we have the same thing happening now with big, you know, big brands, 900 uh, euros a pair, and yet you just know that there is 
I mean, these things have no life uh, beyond three seasons, right? Uh, where is this also part of your equation as well? Yeah, very, very important point. So actually the holistic point of view of longevity as a concept is not just physical longevity, it's also cultural longevity. So um, how can a product outlast the trend? Because, and, and then of course, emotional longevity. How long can I, can I love this product? Can I, can I use this product? But the cultural longevity is a very important point. So it's not obsolete uh, within one or two seasons, because and, then it, yeah, and, it just and, doesn't last. And for our listeners around the world, of course, if they can't make it down to the market, if they're not based uh, in and around Zurich, uh, how can they find the sneakers? So they find us online, one, and of course featured in Trunk in Zurich. Okay, which, which I'm is very proud of. Okay, well, very good. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to uh, leave it uh, there, Captain Moita from uh, Vin Sneakers. You're listening uh, to Monocle on uh, Sunday. Uh, we are going to go away for a very short break. Uh, we'll be back right after this. The Monocle Book of Entrepreneurs is a smart guide to starting and running your own business from the people behind Monocle Magazine. It's a handbook designed to encourage, inspire, and perhaps even gently prod its readers into taking the plunge and starting something for themselves. Inside, you'll find canny case studies of 100 businesses that succeeded, ideas on where to base your business, and advice from more than 50 industry experts on everything from finding funding to scaling up. There are ideas and opportunities for everyone from a first-timer with a dream to seasoned entrepreneurs mulling over their next venture. This isn't about getting rich quick, but it is for those interested in building something with integrity, making something that lasts, something you'd be proud to pass on to the next generation. Isn't it time you turn the page? Let's get started then. The Monocle Book of Entrepreneurs. Go to monocle.com forward slash shop and order your copy today. And you're back with Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Berlay. It's uh, just a 10.49 uh, here in Zurich. You can probably hear in the background, listeners, that uh, it's getting rather buzzy down here at the market. Uh, our space is definitely filling up. Also, the street beyond, partly because it's um, fantastic weather today, which is which is good news. Uh, I wanted to, just to go back and uh, look at the papers uh, again. Prisca, I want to come to you. Uh, you spotted uh, something is it in your paper. Is it, is it in another newspaper? Uh, what, have you, what, do you, what do you have for us? Yes, I have two stories uh, that ca- caught my eye in the Sonntagszeitung, which is our... Part of your family. Yes, yes. part of my family. <laughs> exactly. And um, my first topic is uh, really relates to the old-fashioned part of things we talked about. And by the way, Tyler, I just remembered that my parents... <laughs> They collected stuff from airlines uh, frequently and they just gave me, about a few months ago, they gave me four sets with uh, eye masks and toothbrushes and little toothpaste from Swiss Air. So this was before your <laughs> intervention. Well, I was going to say as well, if there's a basement or lager full of things, then maybe, maybe Chandra can get me a bottle of wine that I could... Well, Chandra would join me, Chandra. You, listen, if, you, if, there was an art, if you, there was a keller full of amazing airline memorabilia I think we'd want to be there wouldn't we somebody would have to take us out after because we will stay there yeah no that would be wonderful anyway we'll come back to that but anyway (laughs) of course the toothpaste isn't good anymore I think but the rest (laughs) no I read in the Sonntag setting that the the NFT stamps by the Swiss Post Swiss crypto stamp was launched uh, for eight 
8 francs 90 uh, and they were sold out very quickly 175 pieces which is about 10 dollars US at the moment yes, yeah yes and uh, they resold on Ricardo which is the Swiss auction website for up to 37500 francs come on yes and That's incredible. It's a very old-fashioned, very Swiss hobby to collect stamps. I never thought I would hear of this again in so my life. So just to be clear, this was it was a stamp celebrating NFT. So it's still a physical stamp, but a it's physical a physical stamp with a NFT, NFT attached. attached to it. Yes. And yet it was going for close to 4000 francs. Yes. 40. Oh, for for zero francs. No. No, it Fiat was it was sold for nine francs. Nine francs? Yes, and we sold for 37500. Thirty-seven thousand five hundred. Okay. Wow. Okay. That's that's a decent. It's a decent return. Uh, Chris, do you? Uh, what else uh, have you uh, have you seen? And uh, from uh, what what part of Middle Europa? Uh, well, I will go back to Austria for one fun story that I foreshadowed at the beginning. There's this interview with uh, Michael Tobias, who's the uh, head of Matador, which is a Austrian sort of wood toy maker, family-owned wooden toy maker. And it was just interesting to listen to, to read this interview with him about entering Christmas. Uh, I'll read you one quote that I found particularly interesting that he said, We live in a time of excess. Children have too many toys and get too many gifts. Um, we need, you know, and, and it was just, it, it, there, was, there was this sort of sentiment from him about the effort by European toy makers like him as well to come back to fight back against the more uh, plastic made products from China which at some point were up to about 90% of toys that were being sold around the world and he's kind of sort of trying to insert himself into that conversation he says he realizes they're not going to be a brand that is going to be hugely mass market ever but he's sort of making a plea which I found was very nice for reducing the amount of toys you have, focusing on toys that do last longer, that are made of better quality products, and that children can learn from and continue to play with rather than always throwing away very quickly going from one thing to the next. Frisket, last uh, story uh, from you just before we go, go back to Chandra. Uh, what else do you have? Yes, uh, I read an interview uh, with Irene Kalin, also in the Sonntagszeitung. She's a new president of the Nationalrat, of the National Council. She's 34 and a mother. And uh, I really like the interview. Uh, she has some very fresh ideas and owns her ideas very proudly and uh, has an agenda, of course, on the compatibility of family and motherhood, sorry, parenthood and work and politics. And uh, we will also talk to her for my new podcast, a little <laughs> advertising, which will start on Friday, which will be called Tagesanzeigerin which will really look at uh, women who make headlines and should make headlines. And just a one-on-one -on -one always, or it will be a, a panel discussion this program? It's a colleague and I, and we will have um, guests, and sometimes we just discuss topics, the two of us. Very good. Uh, Tagus Anzeiger in, okay, premiering <laughs> this coming Friday, you yes. said. Um, and obviously that's via the Tagus Anzeiger uh, website. Uh, we've got about uh, five minutes, uh, listeners, uh, until uh, we have to uh, say goodbye and get out and man the tables and get out into the market. I think I'm on the, the subscriptions table next. And listeners, if you are there, of course, you know that all of these programs are free when you listen to them. Uh, so it would, of course, be wonderful, of course, uh, if uh, you can subscribe to Monocle. You can go to monocle.com to do that. Uh, okay, uh, Emma Nelson, you're standing by in London. 
There's, I believe there's some smoked haddock uh, around. It's supposed to go into the oven. Somehow there's this wine guest uh, that was supposed to show up at your, at, at, your, at your place this evening, but she's here with us, so what's going to happen? Well, um, it won't be smoked haddock, but I'm just trying to get a bit of a heads up as to what I need to serve Chandra when she arrives in London. This was supposed to be the night when uh, Chandra came around for smoked haddock, because I know, Chandra, you don't get to eat smoked haddock very often, do you, in Switzerland? So I was doing mm, it as a special treat for you. Yeah, um, we will do that. Really not to worry it will all come back again it's all fine and look the sounds of the, the, the Christmas market it sounds like a bus has just arrived over there well, yeah, actually, <laughs> we, we do we are busing them in from across the border I think it's, go, it's going very well it's a new it's a new business model for it's us it's lovely it's it's what we need at the moment because everything else is a bit is a bit nuts so um, it's really good to hear that there's, there's clearly a load of activity going on so Chandra in a quieter moment when I do you poached smoked haddock with garlic mash what are you bringing to the table well, because you don't drink so often Swiss wine, I will of course bring you a Swiss wine and we smoked haddock. I think there's nothing better than a good Chardonnay and the best Chardonnay of Switzerland is from Gantenbein. But I will add a little bit something because Tyler spoke so beautiful about wandering minds. I think it is nothing more beautiful than make our minds wander. So I will add some music and you should listen while you drink this wine and eat your haddock from old-fashioned bird Bacharach, the song Walk on By. And you will see, you will not let me go anymore. I won't. Uh, that's it. You're never leaving if you bring the boat back around as well. That's, that yes. sounds like a heavenly evening. Lo- love that. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're going to a Chris Chermak just across the table here uh, from, from Chandra. There's also a, a pairing request uh, there. Just re- remind us, uh, Chris, what were you after? I would say if you could recommend to me either a German, Austrian or Swiss Riesling, Weißburgunder, Grauburgunder to serve and what kind of music would go with that kind of wine as well. So last evening I, I came back from Italy and I needed again to get in Germanic structure to, to feel comfortable in Zurich. So I drank a, a nice cabinet from Gut Hermannsberg, a Riesling, a German from the Neue, which is this precise, clear, you know, structured uh, dry white. And what is better than to listen to it than to the Köln concert from Keith Jarrett. You put these two wines and, and, and music together and you will feel very, very good. That sounds very nice. I will pick that up for a, a Christmas party back in London. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Prisca, just remind us, there's a party that you're planning, hopefully in the not-too-distant future, correct? Yes, exactly. Well, I think you're very optimistic to think that next spring all is over, so I cannot recommend you any like Prosecco, more, more light sparkling wines. You have to go for champagne that you can store a year or two years. <laughs> and maybe from Drapier, it's, it's a biodynamic family, a, a, a zero dosage, and... What I always listen when I drink champagne, and I try to drink a lot of champagne, it's some ballads from Neck and Cole, and they make you also very, very happy. Very Thank good. You. Well, hopefully that, uh, that serves well. Emma, Emma, back in London. Yes. <laughs> Just, you're with us uh, throughout the day as well. We'll be checking back and forth, correct? Absolutely. We're um, lining up guests who are going to battle through the busloads in a minute who's going to be joining, <laughs> joining me. And we're going to have Ben Ozog. We're going to have uh, Chris Chermak. I think you're coming back if I can persuade you. Away. I am coming back. I'll be interviewing some of the guests as well, some of the stall holders at this, at this market. So Brilliant. yes, I will, I it's will be here. It's a big jamboree. And I think we've got Urs Bula standing by once we can uh, hoik him out of what appears to be now a group of children that you've got setting up yeah, ab- in absolutely. the background. It sounds like a group, but it's only it's only two of them, and I, I see them tugging on coats and uh, and, and other things uh, across the way. Uh, Emma Nelson, you'll be with me throughout the day. Chris Chermak yeah. as well. Ben Ozog will be with us. Uh, and also I'll be popping in and around uh, the microphone. Uh, big thanks to uh, Priska Amstutz uh, for joining us from the Tagus Anzager, our Chris Chermak, Chandra Kurt, always nice to see you. Emma Nelson, Peter Hornung, also Captain Moiter from VIN. Uh, a big, big thanks to all of them. As we said, we're going to be here throughout the day. Uh, and of course, the market goes till about 1800 uh, Central European time. 
time. Uh, might run a little bit late, of course. The weather is very nice. Emma Nelson and Carlotta Rebella were our producers today. And in Zurich, Desiree Bandley uh, took charge of everything on or in and around the mics. And also Steph Chungu back in London. I'm Tyler Brulay. Monocle on Sunday is back next week. I'm not sure how we're all going to do it. We're going to be in Stockholm, many of us. Uh, but we'll have more on that. Have a very good week. Goodbye.